say great shot. Amen? Everybody needs some encouragement. Human praise. Human praise. Do we ever get enough? Human praise. Is there any way we can really overdo it? Everybody needs praise. Do you think they maybe they overdo it in Hollywood a little bit? And they got awards for everything, amen? So they're all the time overdoing it. But perhaps on a daily basis, the church doesn't praise enough. We don't praise one another enough. I don't know that we praise the Lord enough. But there is someone who deserves more praise than you can ever give. And verse 1 of our psalm today says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Dr. Jack Hayford is the 80-year-old former minister of the church on the way out in California. He had been there for over 30 years as pastor of that church. Well, back in 1977, Jack and his wife were touring England. And they went to England to, when they were celebrating the 50th anniversary of Elizabeth II as the Queen of England. And as he visited England during that celebration, he began to sense how deeply the people loved their queen. He began to sense how deeply the English people felt for their queen that stood with them through good times and through bad. Suddenly, Jack began to think about Jesus. And he began to think how Jesus Christ wants his church to have that same sense of loyalty. How Jesus wants his people to have that same depth of faithfulness and loyalty because he's our leader. And he stays with us through thick and thin, through good times and through bad times. One word began to overshadow Jack Hayford's thinking. And that word was majesty. Majesty. And so Jack then asked his wife if she would take his notebook and begin jotting down some words. And Jack began to dictate to his wife the key, the notes, the timing, and the lyrics of one of the most popular songs sung by Christians everywhere. I've got those lyrics on the screen, and I want us to sing it this morning. Majesty, worship His majesty, unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise. Majesty, kingdom authority, flow from his throne unto his own, his anthem raise, so exalt, lift. 
lift up on high the name of Woo! Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus the Yeah! Majesty, worship His majesty. You know, there ain't but one word to describe our king. And that is your majesty. Anything you want, your majesty, I will do it. I am part of your kingdom. I will do whatever you ask, O Lord. Because he, friend, is majestic in every way possible. He is majestic from his birth in Bethlehem to his death on the cross. He is majestic from the beginning of creation to the end of time as we know it. In Psalm chapter 8, God's word begins to describe God's majesty a little bit. And it describes God's majesty how it's witnessed or how it's seen in all manner of ways. So if you would follow along with me, I'm preaching from the uh, NIV this morning, it may be a little bit different, um, but you'll, you'll be able to catch on just fine. Psalm chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man? What is a man that you are even mindful of him? You made him a little bit lower than the heavenly beings and you crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the flocks, all the birds, all the herds, and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea, and all that swim in the path of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Wow. Majesty. Your majesty. Would you say that with me? Your majesty. That's your king you're talking to, amen? And the majesty of God is seen in many different ways. The first of which, I believe that you probably noticed it, God's majesty is seen in the heavens. Did you catch it there at the end of verse 1? You have set your glory above the heavens. And then in verse 3, it says, When I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. God's majesty is seen in the heavens. There was once an astronomer named Kepler. And Kepler was troubled because one of his friends uh, denied the existence of God. Said there was no God. And he said furthermore that uh, the universe just somehow came into being. 
Well, this disturbed Kepler, and he began to try to convince his friend otherwise. And Kepler constructed a model of our galaxy, of our uh, solar system. He constructed the sun, and he constructed all the planets circling around the sun. And when his friend came over to his house and saw this beautiful model that Kepler constructed, the man said, man, that is absolutely beautiful. Who made that? To which Kepler nonchalantly said, nobody. It just made itself. And his friend said, no, nonsense. Tell me who made it. And then Kepler said, friend, you say that this little toy could not be made by itself. But this little model is nothing but a weak imitation of the great universe, which you say just came into being. How crazy is that? God is the God of creation. He is the God of creation who flung the stars into the universe. It didn't happen by itself. It didn't happen by some cosmic explosion. There was no Big Bang Theory. If that's the case, then what is astronomy? Well, astronomy is simply a natural science that studies what God has created. Astronomy is the study of stars and planets and comets, etc., etc. It's just studying what God created. Someone once said that if you were to take a dime and you held that dime out toward the night sky at arm's length, that that dime would block out 15 million stars if your eyes could see with that power. Just the dime. Astronomers believe, furthermore, that there are over 100 billion, that's billion with a B, 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. And they believe that some, that there's probably more than a million galaxies. And God has set his glory above the heavens. God has his heavens, which are the work of his fingers. The moon and the stars he has set in place. Friend, when you look up at the night sky, can you see the majesty of God? But that's not the only place that we see the majesty of God. For we also hear the majesty of God from the children. That's right. I read about a, fam a father of four who came home early from work one day, and his four boys were in an all-out brawl. A knockdown, drag-out, free-for-all brawl. So dad came in, and he was speaking to the oldest son, and he said, Butch... Who started this? And then Butch replied, well, it all started when Harold hit me back. <laughs> Amen. From the lips of our kids, many things come that are not always accurate. Amen. Judge Judy says, if you want to know when a teenager's telling a story, just see when they open their mouth. Amen. Uh, hopefully that's not always the case. I believe that for the most part, uh, children are fairly honest in what they say. Uh, though sometimes, uh, I've heard many stories of our children lacking a filter. Amen? Sometimes they're going to tell you exactly how it is. Sometimes our kids are just going to blurt it out there being very, very blunt. 
And I guess my favorite story goes back to about the year 2007. Uh, during a Christmas celebration, we had uh, anywhere from 15 to 20 children lined up on the front pew here. And I had the microphone live, and I was going down child to child, asking each child what they wanted for Christmas. And it went smooth as silk, all the way until I got down to cricket. The last one, and she told me that she wanted a doll that poops and pees. Y'all remember that, don't you? Well, before I got to Rogersville to eat, the story preceded me, amen? I heard what happened at church today, amen? Uh, kids are going to just tell you the way it is for the most part because the, from the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. Listen to this one story about a man who had a dream. And in this man's dream, he was dreaming about a church service, not unlike the one we're in right now. And in his vision, he saw the pianist playing vigorously, but no sound. In his vision, he saw the choir and the congregation singing their hearts out, but he heard no voice. And then he saw a preacher begin to pray, but no words came from his lips. And the man turned in wonder to his angel guide. And the angel said, Sir, you hear nothing because there is nothing to hear. These people are not engaged in worship, but only in a form of worship. Their hearts are not touched. Therefore, this silence remains unbroken in the presence of God. And then the man heard a child's voice. He heard a child's voice. It was clear and it was distinct right in the midst of all that silence. Only the child's voice was heard. And the angel said, the reason only the child's voice was heard is because only the child's heart has been touched. That, said the guide, is the only true worship that's going on in this church today. Everybody else is only concerned with the appearance of worship. And I read that story and I said, man, that's humbling. That is so convicting. And I wondered... Man, could that be our church? Could that be our church that only from the lips of our children is God receiving praise? Only from what's occurring over in the fellowship center right now. Is that the only true worship? Friends, my prayer is for you today that you're able to worship your majesty. Not only because of what he's done in the heavens. Not only because of what he does in the voice of children. But because of what he's done in your life. And as you reflect back to the goodness of God. How good he's been to you. I pray that you're able to say. Oh your majesty. Your servant is here for you. 
You may remember in Matthew chapter 19, Matthew said that the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to, to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought those children. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. Why? For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Friend, do you have that childlike wonder about the majesty of God? When you see what he's done in your life, do you have that wonder about his majesty? And then just a few chapters later, in Matthew 21, Matthew writes that the blind and the lame came to Jesus while he was in the temple, and he healed those folks. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things they did, and when those same chief priests and teachers heard the children shouting in the temple, Hosanna, son of David. Those chief priests and teachers were indignant. They were downright angry. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said, yeah, I hear them. I hear them. Have you never read in your own scriptures from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? Friend, God's majesty is heard from our children. I saw BYG last week performing Behold the Lamb in a way that was different from all the others. And I heard from their lips them ordaining praise to God. And then yes, last Wednesday morning, we, we had a whole stage full of children. And you know what they were doing? They were singing praise to God for what they knew he was and for what he had already done in their lives. God's majesty is heard by the children. But God's majesty, finally today, is also witnessed by our enemy. Even if you don't think that you have an enemy, I can tell you that you have at least one enemy. And sometimes God's majesty is witnessed by that enemy in the life you live. In the New Century Version, verse 2 says, You silence your enemies and you destroy those who try to get even. God's majesty is witnessed sometimes when his enemy is made silent. John Wesley once said to his travel companion, Dr. Clark, he said, as I was walking through St. Paul's churchyard, I saw two women who were standing opposite one another. There was one woman who was speaking and gesturing violently, while the other one just stood perfectly still in silence. And just as I came up and began to walk by, one woman clenching her fist and stomping her feet, told that calm neighbor, speak back to me, you wretch. That way I can argue with you. Interesting. Wesley said, that was a lesson to me. That was a lesson to me that silence is often the best answer to abuse. 
How do you silence your enemies? How do you silence the enemy? Sometimes the best thing to do is keep quiet and say nothing. Proverbs 15 verse 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. Proverbs 17 tells us that even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and he's thought to be discerning if he holds his tongue. And then in the Bible of Mark Twain, you've heard this before, he said, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. Sometimes when you're facing opposition... We're just too quick to talk. Sometimes when we're facing someone who is angry, we're too quick to defend ourselves. I think that often the best defense is to say nothing. Let them get it off their chest. It doesn't mean it's not going to hurt. But I think that the best defense is to say nothing, but instead... Offer or exercise self-control and just trust the Lord. Because often, God will silence your enemies and destroy those who try to get even just because you choose to be silent. Sometimes, we silence the enemies of God by saying nothing. Do you remember the story of Daniel in the lion's den? The royal court of King Darius urged the king to make a decree that all who pray to anyone but the king get thrown in the lion's den. Well, it was shortly after that that Daniel learned of this decree. And he went straight home and he opened the windows of his upstairs apartment and the first thing they did is he got down on his knees and he began to pray giving thanks to Almighty God. He did it three times per day. And it wasn't long before Daniel's enemies caught wind of it. They caught wind of what Daniel was doing and they found him praying to God. So his enemies went to the king and they told about Daniel outright defying the king's decree and praying to the God of heaven three times a day. So the king gave the order. And he said, Daniel is to be thrown into the lion's den. But on the way in, the king said something kind of peculiar. And I want you to hear the sarcasm in this voice because he said, Daniel, may your God, who you serve so continually, rescue you They threw him in the den and they put a gigantic stone over the top of that den. And then the king returned to his palace. And after he returned to his palace, he began to get ready for bed, but he lost his appetite and he couldn't eat. And as kings normally did, uh, they would call for entertainment, but he was in no mood for that. He didn't call for any entertainment. And then when he got ready for bed, he just couldn't go to sleep. And then at the first light of dawn, 
the king got up and he hurried to that lion's den. And as he came near to the den, he began to call out to Daniel. And he did so, the Bible says, in an anguished voice. You see, something happened overnight. Something happened overnight through Daniel's silence to that king. And in an anguished voice, he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And then a muffled voice came out from beneath that stone. And it said, Long live the king. Long live the king. My God sent an angel and he shut the mouth of the lions and they have not hurt, hurt me because I have found in, been found innocent of what I was accused. And I've not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed, the Bible says, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den of lions. And when Daniel was lifted out of the den, not one wound was found on his body. Why? Because he trusted his God. So what do you do in the face of God's enemies? What do you do in the face of your own enemies? Pause, stop, pray, and trust your God. As a result of this, God's majesty, God's power was clearly seen by the enemy of God. Even unbelievers were witnessing God's work in Daniel's life. By continually serving the Lord, he was showing his uttermost devotion to God. Ultimately, those conspirators that had him thrown in the den of lions were, were killed themselves. So I want to ask you a question. What do unbelievers witness about your life? Do they witness a godly woman who prays to the God, his, her majesty? What do they witness in your life? Friend, I'm not inviting you to be passive, but I am saying that sometimes it's not how much we say, rather it's how much we keep our mouths shut and just trust God in prayer. Sometimes it's that that speaks to the enemies of God. God's majesty. Friend, it's seen in the heavens, it's heard from children, and it's witnessed by his enemies. I read of a friend that was talking to Mrs. Thomas Alva Edison. And as he was talking to Thomas Edison's wife, he asked her, have you ever asked your husband where he gets all these great ideas for these inventions he's created? And thoughtfully, Mrs. Edison replied, Yeah, I did ask him once, but he didn't say anything. He just pointed up and smiled, acknowledging where everything that he had ever thought of had come from. Friend, I want to tell you today, 
that if there's anything good in your life, if there's anything good in this world of ours, if there's anything good that you have received from the hand of God, it's because of your majesty. It didn't come from no human being. It didn't come from any bank account. It didn't come from any 401k. It didn't come from an employer. It came from your majesty. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And by the way, your majesty has also provided a way for you to have a permanent home in heaven. He paid the ultimate price because he stepped down out of the glory that he prepared. And he paid the price that you should have paid. And he died on the cross. He was buried in a grave. And he was gloriously raised from that grave. That was your majesty. And he did that so that you might have a permanent place in heaven. So friend, I want to encourage you today. That if you have never received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, today is your day. If you have never publicly acknowledged that your majesty is the only one responsible for all the good things you've ever received, friend, today is your day. And during this song, if the Lord is leading you, you just step out of your pew, you come forward and you receive the precious gift that your majesty died for. Amen. He's waiting for you. That's his promise. May I pray for you. Father God.